uh, when the when the conversation shifts from if we should legalize <laughs> to how we should legalize, buckle up. Things are about to change um, at a at a very quick public policy pace, which is a matter of years usually. But yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it, but it, but things are but but things are really starting to change. This is Lit and Lucid, your after work de stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host Lit, and I'm your host Lucid, and we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back. Consume your favorite cannabis products and get cozy Cozy in the the Lit and Lucid lucid lifestyle. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. It is Thursday, and we are recording another episode of the show. Joining us today from Florida is Louis Koski. He is the Chief Strategy Officer at Metric. Metric has combined advanced software, radio frequency identification, RFID tags, and a dedicated customer support team to create a secure database to track cannabis from growth, harvest, and processing to testing, transport, and sale. Metric is engaged in 21 government contracts and serves more than 300,000 users, including growers, testing facilities, dispensaries, state regulators, and law enforcement officials across the U.S. Lewis has been with Metric since 2019, previously serving as the company's COO. Lewis has played an integral part in forging lasting relationships with a diverse set of industry and government stakeholders while providing strategic leadership and metric, including scaling operations, expanding its footprint, and more than tripling the number of employees. Prior to metric, he served as the deputy senior director of the Colorado Department of Revenue's Enforcement Business Group, directing state policy surrounding regulated markets and its enforcement. Lewis also served as the director of the Colorado MEDs division, where he helped build the first state agency in the U.S. to develop and implement medical and adult use cannabis policy. So with that, we're super excited to have you on the show today. Lewis, I know a lot of people are familiar with metrics, so it's really cool to have you on the show to get a little bit more insight you know, into your own background as well as what metric is doing. So with that, welcome. Thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on, show, on the show, and I'm really looking forward to talking to both of you. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to say, you know, Metric was one of the first uh, softwares I was exposed to when I got into the cannabis industry. I worked at a a large outdoor farm. And I got to say that, you know, a lot of plant tags, I could tell you that and a lot of experience with Metric. So excited to kind of talk about that a little bit more in the future and kind of learn more about, you know, what Metric's been doing and kind of up to since then. But uh, before we get too far down the road, let's learn a little bit more about you, Lewis. You know, tell us how your whole journey and uh, your, your career and everything led you to the cannabis industry? Well, I, uh, well uh, thanks again for having me on. Um, I, I tell you, I think I've had probably one of the more charmed cannabis lives uh, uh, compared to, to a lot of folks. Um, I was really fortunate to um, be um, uh, working in the Colorado Department of Revenue when the opportunity first came for us to uh, in 2009 to start licensing some of the businesses that were that were uh, kind of like taking on that appearance of a commercial enterprise uh, in Colorado like in the like couple of years uh, leading up to that point mm-hmm. so uh, um, I was uh, at the time I was a, a, a supervisory investigator in the division of gaming and I remember thinking that uh, how cool it would be to help 
found an agency, right? So I was thinking like for my career and as a regulator and as a, as a law enforcement officer, you know, like, 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 like you, that never happens, right? You start a new agency that just is like a, a really unique opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And what I didn't realize, you know, looking back it was kind of short-sighted. Um, uh, we were actually really starting like the, what was the beginning of uh, a whole new industry or at least on-ramping uh, an industry from uh, uh, more of a, a gray market or even illicit market into a, in a, in a, a comprehensive regulated industry. And so um, it ended up being a much, much bigger job than what I had originally think, <laughs> I thought. It, it was not just starting an agency, it was actually getting a whole industry on-ramped into a regulatory framework. And so um, uh, uh, I, I held that position I was at the MED for almost six years. And, and it, during that time, um, uh, I was really fortunate to uh, help set up uh, some of the licensing and the field enforcement groups that uh, that um, that made up the agency. But as legalization happened, which happened much, much sooner than I think we originally expected, um, you know, by the time we were uh, having the first sales in uh, Colorado, I had become the, the director of, of the MED. And so I was largely responsible for leading some of the teams with um, that, that did like promulgated all the regulations. And I also spent quite a bit of time at the state legislature as a subject matter expert reporting on our progress uh, around legalization, but also um, uh, providing some information on on some of the bills that they were um, that they were uh, contemplating. As, as everybody knows, uh, cannabis uh, policy continues to be very dynamic and continues yeah. to develop. So even in those those formative years, it wasn't surprising to have many, many bills uh, every legislative session. Uh, so anyway, so I, I, I spent, the, um, like as I mentioned, six years there um, at the MED. And then also part of that was uh, as the uh, deputy senior director of enforcement, where I was the chief of staff for casino gambling again and liquor and uh, in, in, in cannabis, uh, auto industry, et cetera. Um, and, and I ended up leaving. I ended up left the left the company or left the state and, and formed a company with a gentleman named Andrew Friedman, who was uh, uh, the Governor Hickenlooper's uh, canvasser. Um, and we uh, had a, what I would consider to be a, a really successful two year run helping other government agencies formulate a lot of the same policy that we had helped build in Colorado. Um, and. And we also took on some private clients. And one of our private clients was Metric, which is a company I was familiar with from, from Colorado. As you mentioned, you know, you, you, uh, you were uh, in a cultivation that utilized Metric in, in those early days. Um, and I, I kept, um, as, the, as cannabis legalization continued to grow across the country, so did Metric. Um, and so uh, we kept doing more and more work for them. And so I just eventually uh, uh, migrated over to a full-time position with, with the company, which is where I am today. So. Interesting. Pretty fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you really, you know, I like that you kind of started at the beginning and, and you kind of shared this little bit with us of, you know, you did have to create a new agency and, and it, you know, it was new to you. You know, I, we talked to a lot of, you know, business professionals that are on the cannabis side of things and the operator side of thing and the stakeholder side. And, you know, they share like a very similar sentiment of like they had to create a lot of, you know, new systems and processes and kind of figure this stuff out on their own. And, and it's not like every day we think about, you know, the regulatory aspect too, and the state regulators have to do the exact same thing. And then especially Colorado, essentially being one of the first states with Washington. And, you know, you guys were probably one of the first states that metric ever even got to work with. Uh, it has to be challenging to, to know what that's going to look like. And then also to kind of regulate it and then deal with, you know, maybe the public pressures and everybody just having an opinion on how you think it should go. And you guys kind of happen to, to create it. So, I can imagine, you know, there was probably uh, probably stressful, but also probably, you know, fun at the same time of being able to to create and innovate and then kind of get it to where it's at today. So that's awesome. 
Well, I can tell you that it's a lot more fun looking back on those days <laughs> yeah. times that I actually live in those. But I mentioned to you earlier how fortunate I was during my career. And 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 not all that has to do with just like some of the, the personal uh, um, uh, success that I've had, but it was it had a lot more to do with the cast of, of characters that make up cannabis legalization. You know, if we got anything right um, um, in Colorado, I think there's, there's two things. One was that we did, you know, we followed Governor Hickenlooper's lead, which was to bring a lot of diverse stakeholders to the table to debate some of the most um, challenging topics around cannabis legalization. You know, I, I wrote my my PhD dissertation. Um, I went back and researched some of the work that we had that, that we had done during those times to get a better feel on how stakeholders experienced that uh, those those various sets of rulemaking. Um, and, and they were very um, um, they were. There, there's a lot of like real positive and constructive feedback on on how we did during that time, but yeah. everyone said that if we hadn't brought all those groups together, um, that uh, legalization may not have have uh, succeeded like it did in Colorado because the rules really reflected um, a diverse set of of viewpoints. In fact, even this week, I've been reflecting on it even a little bit more with with uh, Dan England passing away, who was like a yeah. key figure, like a larger than life figure that that uh, participated in a lot of those regulatory work groups. Um, so so it's like just an incredible group of people that we we got to work with. And then also, too, I think, you know, like, you know, relevant to my current role, um, uh, the fact that um, uh, government uh, uses and continues to use like innovate around technology mm -hmm. when it comes to helping efficiently monitor uh, licensees for compliance was certainly another factor in in creating a really successful market in Colorado and it's been somewhat replicated um, in a, in a number of other states across the country. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. One of the questions that I had was, you know, you know, we've had some people on before and sometimes people have, you know, give a lot of flack to the regulators. You know, it's like they didn't really understand like our viewpoint or, you know, where we were at with things and these kind of laws and regulations came out and they kind of missed a mark. So for you, like you said, you had just started that agency. So where did a lot of your education come from? Like you said, maybe you were sitting at the table with different stakeholders or how did that whole process, you know, evolve? So if I go back to those early years, uh, especially like the first couple of years of legalization, um, whoever it was that you were talking to that said, you know, that we didn't know what they were experiencing, they were right. <laughs> I mean, they're actually 100% correct. I mean, there was no, there, there wasn't another model to go off of. And so the only way that we knew um, how to be successful in putting together what we consider to be a balanced set of regulations that um, certainly first and foremost took into consideration public health and safety, but also recognized that this was a, an, a for-profit industry that also had to have um, a, a successful business model potential uh, through the regulatory framework. And so what we did was we, 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 really immersed ourselves and became students of the the industry, which by the way is pretty dynamic in of itself. It's not like the industry like always agrees with one another yeah. on how everything <laughs> yeah. should play out. But we certainly immersed ourselves uh, in the Colorado industry and we spent a lot of time really starting to better understand a lot of the challenges that they faced that were um unique to being in cannabis, but also like kind of common challenges that members of the regulated community face uh, when trying to, to, to uh, comply with a really comprehensive set of regulations. So in some ways, you know, we, we borrowed from a lot of their, 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 um, what was their current business operations at the time, but we also borrowed from other things. Uh, so we borrowed from casino gambling regulations when it came to handling cap 
cash. Like mm-hmm. casinos know how to do that. And so we borrowed from a lot of the the regulations to help formulate, at least for, from a discussion standpoint, like what would and wouldn't work for uh, for cannabis. I, I think, you know, uh, everyone who's been part of the Colorado model knows that the 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 uh, the the regulate like alcohol uh, was kind of like the battle cry for the legalization effort and and like it wasn't too long after we started actually putting pen to paper that we realized this these are going to be really two completely different industries <laughs> um, and so we're going to have to adapt and make it really uh, uh, unique and customized to to what uh, was going to be happening in cannabis. Interesting. That is pretty fascinating and. And, you know, I could, you know, reflect some of those sentiments too. And, you know, I got to say by working in the industry and, and, you know, working right alongside, you know, the MED and, and metric and kind of working within the frameworks, I'll say that, you know, the, the regulators, state and local, were really flexible to operators. And there was a lot of stuff, for instance, I'm not sure if it was a, a state or a local rule, but we worked in an outdoor cultivation and they started requiring that the outside perimeter be lit up at night. And, and they had to have, you know, so many feet spacing between lights and, and so forth and so on. And, and the growers were saying, we can't have light on our plants at night. It'll cause them to hermaphrodite and we'll lose a crop. And, you know, we just can't have light. It's going to trigger these plants. And and, I, and I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not sure if it was state or local, but, you know, there was changes or adoptions or, you know, different things kind of brought into place to, to help mitigate that risk. But it just shows you that, you know, regulators may not, they may have the, the best interest in mind, but they may not understand the operator and the operator, you know, understands their plants and, and they see where the regulators are trying to go. But there has to be this, this kind of back and forth and kind of meet in the middle to, to make it work for the industry when it's especially new. And, and, you know, there's a lot to think about and there's a lot, you know, it's very finicky. Like you said, it's not alcohol and, you know, it's cannabis, it's its own industry. And like you said, there's a, there's a, there's a billion ways to do it. And, and uh, it's, it's a diverse, you know, melting pot of ideas, but I will just reflect the sentiment that I believe the regulators do a great job of, of trying to work with the operators to, to fix these issues and, and do it the right way. Well, um, uh, that that story you just shared with me really resonates with me. In fact, I'm, I'm uh, vividly remembering um, uh, sitting in a conference room at the Marijuana Enforcement Division, uh, you know, picture uh, all of us regulators kind of in like trying to figure out how we're going to in 2013, how we're going to start with like um, the security around outdoor cultivations and like how we were going to tackle that. And you can picture, you know, we've been writing rules for almost like several days in a row. And there's like, (laughs) there's like the um, uh, packaging from five or six different meals that we had ordered (laughs) over the last day and a half. Um, Everybody was super tired. I think we had worked all the way through the night and we actually tackling that issue. And I think we had like originally settled on um, that the outdoor cultivation has to have security that's similar, if not identical to uh, what an indoor grow would have. Um, and then not long after that, we uh, opened it up to uh, comment and work groups. Um, and we started making some, I think were some sensible modifications to that regulation to help um, um, uh, make that work for everyone. I still don't think we got it perfect the first go around, <laughs> but uh, we certainly were, uh, we were certainly at a loss for how to, to handle the security issue. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's tough. And, you know, the farm I worked with experienced to break in and it could have very well been, you know, uh, tied to some of that stuff, you know, at least like the lighting and stuff. But you know, that just shows you that it is unique. And I think everybody just does have to work together. We have to be patient, especially in Colorado, that it was, you know, one of the first states and, and it's easy, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's easy to look back and say, well, now New York's doing this, you know, why didn't Colorado do this? Or Oklahoma's doing this and why didn't Colorado do that? Or, and it's, you know, Colorado still did a lot right. I could tell you that. And there's a lot of the model that's being taken across the country and utilized. And, and uh, we're certainly proud of that. Yeah, and I, I get a chance 
to talk about Colorado all the time. And of course, I'm really biased because I was so actively involved with that in the the early years. But it's really been interesting to see what's diffused, like the policy diffusion that's occurred across the country and what's been adopted, but also what that development of best practices has allowed some of the later adopting states to be able to address. So for example, in those early years, we certainly didn't uh, tackle social justice or, or criminal justice reform issues around cannabis um, in 2013 or 2014. Um, I would like to, I mean, like in retrospect, I kind of wish we would have been a little bit more um, uh, proactive about that. Uh, but you know, now that you've seen, like, like as you saw more and more best practices develop and it made it a little um, more efficient for new government agencies to adopt some of that and put it into practice, it also like created um, the, the, uh, the, um, uh, the bandwidth for uh, government agencies and stakeholders to be able to tackle some of those issues more mm-hmm. effectively than what we did originally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, all the states are kind of learning from one another as we continue on. And I think that's very important. Uh, but let's talk a little bit more about metrics. So for those of our listeners who don't know, you know, what the company does, tell us a little bit more about metric. Yeah. So, so metric is a uh, track and trace software system uh, that um, primarily works with government. Uh, so as government agencies or states have adopted more permissive cannabis policy, either in the medical side um, or the adult use side, um, one of the best practices that's been adopted across the country is uh, um, track and trace requirements where government agencies um, uh, purchase um, uh, that, that functionality um, and they use that as a way of, of uh, collecting real-time data from licensees on all, all of their inventories. So our system, like, like every track and trace system, uses a, a physical tag that's attached to plants and packages that are of, of products that are created from that. And we, uh, we use a, a, a patented uh, radio frequency ID tag. We provision all the tags into the system, um, which is, a, is different than I think some of our, our competitors. And then, um, licensees uh, report data from little baby plants all the way through the entire supply chain um, where uh, products are ultimately sold to the consumer. And then uh, many, many regulations across the state also, you know, have a uh, uh, either a uh, lot number or a the last UID off of a package tag um, that's connected to each unit for sale that's uh, sold to consumers. Um, and so that that product is uh, is traceable back to its provenance uh, and however many cultivations uh, um, uh, um, contributed plants to the production of that product. Um, so we, we track literally everything from little baby plants to um, uh, um, uh, final units for sale to, to customers. But in between all of that, there's data collected on um, when the plants were planted, um, when uh, how long they were in veg, how long they were in flower, if they moved from one room to the next, all of the testing data, um, all of the transportation data, and then ultimately all of the point of sale uh, um, data um, specific to the cost of the, the product is is put into our system. So we have one single source of truth on what the industry writ large is reporting to the regulators for purposes of, of compliance. Okay. So just to like clarify, so like Colorado would purchase this or like contract with metric for this service and then anybody mm-hmm. in the regulated industry would thus use metric as their tr- tracking system. Yeah, that's correct. So our, our, our primary customers are government agencies. 
Uh, and then we have 22 contracts, um, uh, which is 20 states, uh, Washington, D.C., and Guam. Uh, we have very large programs like California, um, and we also provide services to smaller programs like the one in Louisiana, for example. Um, now, to your point about uh, government agencies purchasing uh, or, or uh, acquiring uh, track and trace systems, that's common practice across across the country. Um, and and um, one thing that our system allows for those, it allows for businesses to continue to use their business systems that they normally use um, by and large. So we have a, a really robust uh, application programming interface or an API that allows point of sales, ERP, data analytics, laboratory management systems, um, all to be able to uh, report directly into metric and also pull data out of metric. Hmm. Um, so, uh, so government uses that as a as a way to be able to uh, um, create uniform data sets from many, many, many different systems, mm-hmm. and so it creates a lot of efficiencies for government. One, um, obviously, our RFID tags provide some uh, some uh, 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 an ability for regulators to be able to efficiently go in and take inventories of of cultivations and manufacturers and stores, etc. Um, but also, um, it it um, it 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 keeps um or it basically creates a system where the regulator does not have to learn all 100 200 different systems that are being used um in the marketplace um to mm-hmm. be able to collect data um and then be able to monitor enforcement so this all happens in real time um and regulators can do um do their work much much more efficiently uh than they would be if they were having to ask for data that efficiency that regulators gain also is passed on to the licensee community because they can lower their costs and and make their reporting uh, of for compliance much much more efficient than they would if they were having to provide this data manually. Right. That's fascinating. You know, and you know, I'm not sure of the total number of legal states off the top of my head, but I could say you know, 22 government contracts like that's a pretty big number, and um, seems like you guys, you know, are kind of the go-to for uh, states when they're looking to kind of you know put a regulatory framework around this. Um, why is that? You know, why is metric being one of the, the major regulatory systems in the industry? What do what do these governments look for, and why do they, you know, why do they see that in metric? Well, I think I think there's some things that really distinguish metric from uh, um, uh, uh, from some of some from our competitors, and, and and I think there's some value that we've really kind of continually built into the system. So I mentioned to you that I was familiar with metric from my days with the state. Well, the the system that they launched in uh, early 2014 is is not the same system uh, that exists today. Um, the company has continually reinvested back into into the system. You know, I think um, uh, uh, our technology is really strong. Um, the fact that um, our technology also allows all of these other businesses to be able to integrate seamlessly with our system certainly um, uh, um, creates um, some value, not just for us, but for a lot of those businesses. In fact, a lot of those third-party integrators um, that that um, integrate with our system have formed their business around mm-hmm. the data the, and the quality of the data that that is in metric. But there's other things too, and we we you know every time we get a rep in with a new uh, a new implementation, there's oftentimes uh, unique functionality that each jurisdiction needs, and we build that into the system, and then we continually offer that to all of the other states. Mm. So I'm thinking home delivery, for example, yeah. we built that for one state and we're able to offer it to 
all of those. So now when we implement the system, we can implement the system, you know, if we had to, we could, we like six months, but we could do it as in as early as 90 days. Um, in fact, now, you know, if we win a new contract, we can show up within a couple of weeks of signing the contract and the metric instance is already there and set up. It's a matter of sitting down with the business to make, or to the, with the regulators to make sure it's fig- configured correctly to their um, regulations. And now rarely we have, we, we, we rarely have to do any new development to, to meet a specific regulatory need. That's interesting. It kind of reminds me of the work you did in the very beginning, right? When you first started your career, you said you sat down with all the stakeholders and they all kind of work together, you know, figure things out. And that's what it sounds like here. You know, there are third parties, companies that are working, you know, with the metric system to create their own companies. So they probably have their own desires and wants and needs, as well as, you know, the cultivators and the dispensaries and, you know, testing facilities, they probably all have different, you know, needs as well. So coming together and kind of working together and fixing bugs and making sure everything works smoothly, I can see as being a big positive. Um, So like, how else does that play out? Like, what is the relationship a little bit further between tech and the government and the industry? Is it more, you know, just that collaborative approach where you guys are kind of working together to make it more efficient? Or, you know, what would the next step be? Well, so so you made some really good points there. So the entire ecosystem that exists around the regulatory structure, typically, like most of the stakeholders can have some interest interest um, in the data that's collected in in metric and you know that the the uses for that data have really evolved over time so i remember again back uh when i was in office still working for the med we were really hyper focused on preventing diversion of regulated cannabis out into the unregulated marketplace we we're also concerned about regulated cannabis coming into what was becoming the new regulated market um and and the reason was is we were we weren't sure what the federal government was going to do, right? I mean, there was some guidance out there, but it was still like not exactly clear on, on how they were going to proceed. So that was kind of like our top priorities. You know, it wasn't too long after that, we started realizing like, wow, this data is so amazing. There's a lot of other things that we could do. So, um, uh, you know, we used a lot of aggregate data out of the system to um, report into the legislature or to the governor's office or to stakeholders uh, in, uh, um, in the industry or the public writ large about what we were seeing in the industry. Because for the first time, we were actually able to see on a dashboard what was going on in the industry. We knew uh, how many plants were being uh, cultivated in veg, how many were um, in flower, and how many tests were done, how many of those tests failed, and how much revenue was coming in. So, so there was just a lot of like, like almost immediately, a lot of different interests come uh, like uh, percolating up uh, uh, for use of that data. So, tax agencies had an interest. Um, uh, um, I think also too, media certainly had an interest in the data because they were uh, wanting to really like be able to wrap their heads around the industry as well. And then also too, like I think one thing that that came out of this uh, was the ability to trace the product back. So um, if we had any concerns about public health or safety on a certain set of product and you had some of the product and the and the packaging, you could trace it all the way back to its origins. Plus, you could identify anything else within the supply chain that was related to that mm-hmm. and put it on hold. And and um, and so one way we've been able to partner kind of really specific to your question with government agencies was during the vaping crisis with the mm-hmm. vitamin E acetate challenge where people were getting really sick and some people were dying. And the way government handled that in segments of the 
vaping industry, so not just cannabis, but the vaping cannabis writ large, was just to ban all the products. And while that's that that's certainly like one approach, there's no way to enforce that because they have no uh, transparency and no visibility into the supply chain. Mm-hmm. What we were able to do is actually identify all of the products that were vaping products. Um, we could put those on hold. We didn't. The regulators could put those products on hold and then require them to be tested. If they tested as safe, then you could continue to move them forward. So this was like a, a huge win for cannabis mm-hmm. um, and small and medium-sized businesses because they weren't completely like forced to put all of their product on, on hold. So um, we were able to kind of help uh, secure the supply chain, but also show how resilient it could be. And if we haven't learned anything from COVID. Um, uh, we've certainly learned that uh, that our supply chains writ large are not as resilient as, as everybody <laughs> yeah. uh, thought they were. I mean, uh, everybody I know is waiting for something that's on back order right now. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. so uh, um, I'm sure the same. It's the same for you all. So so it's really kind of like an interesting set of use cases and how the the cannabis, which was the cannabis uh, industry, which is a startup industry. Um, you know, somewhat, you know, still suspect in many areas of the country was actually able to lead and provide this amazing use case yeah. on how to build uh, resilient supply chains. That's pretty fascinating. And this is kind of a might be a redundant question at this point, but, you know, are are these types of software is used in other aspects of, you know, the regulatory industry with like alcohol or gambling? Like, is there is there metrics type software for other things to help regulators or or is this kind of approach really new? And then kind of on with that, uh, does it really help, you know, the workforce and the staffing and the efficiencies of the government regulatory agencies to to quicker be able to analyze data and then keep track of this stuff without having to hire a huge staff to kind of sort through this stuff? Yeah. So, so to the first part of your question, I would say that the way this has been handled in uh, cannabis is certainly unique, right? So there's not a track and trace program in alcohol that tracks um, uh, all the way back to the barley that was used mm-hmm. in creating, uh, uh, creating, uh, uh, beer. Right. So, so I think, uh, I think, um, I think that that's, that's true, but then also to the, that's not necessarily controlled substance until it's, uh, until it's alcohol. Um, but, but I do think it's a unique use case and, and, and that's what I think makes it so fascinating is, is the government innovated, um, uh, and knew that the, that the only way that they were going to be successful with this is to bring the right people to the table, but also give those same stakeholders the tools they needed to be able to report efficiently. Mm-hmm. And so the second part of your question, you talked a little bit about how this creates efficiencies for regulators. And I think that's true, uh, whether it's the tools that we give them uh, to, to be more efficient with their inspections or the data set that they use. Um, to be able to confirm tax dollars uh, payments or um, the the information they use to con- uh, confirm compliance on a number of different issues around testing and transportation, et cetera. All those things certainly are efficient. But I would also argue that that um, especially small and medium-sized businesses really benefit from this type of system uh, because while they're collecting normal data that, that data that they would normally collect during uh, good business practices, they're also collecting data that goes into a, a, a more uniform data set for regulators to be able to confirm compliance in an efficient way. So the more efficient the regulator can be, um, the more efficient that the businesses can be, and it really lowers the cost of compliance. So you've got experience and cultivation, right? So um, everybody knows that if uh, you're uh, even like in a lot of like bedrooms or flowering rooms that the 
the flower, the plants are so densely packed that it'll be very difficult for a regulator to get to a tag and scan mm -hmm. it uh, up against the wall. Whereas with our, our system, you could scan it from 21 feet away. So you don't have to move any of the plants away. And so that creates some efficiencies. Also too, the data is there for regulators to look at whenever they want. So they're not like surprising um, a licensee with this massive data request that is like crippling to the business, especially small and medium-sized businesses to provide all of this proof that they're compliant. They're just like showing compliance um, all along the way in real time. So it creates a really efficient system um, for both the regulator and the regulated community. And also this like amazing data set that we were talking about earlier that can uh, serve all sorts of other purposes mm -hmm. um, for the for the government agency. Yeah, I'll even kind of echo the, the data set is extremely valuable for the operators too. I remember when I was there, there was a company uh, that had API access to metric and they were helping to like build a system for the cultivation in. And this was early on where there wasn't a lot of softwares for the cultivation to have like enterprise level softwares that have granular data and help it to kind of like put some insights into to what you're doing as far as, you know, yields per strain or, or, you know, the length of, like you're saying, like this is tracked from veg to flower to harvest. And there's a lot of data in there just to get from like how soon these plants are being harvested, how much yield per plant, you know, how long it was in the veg cycle, on and on and on. So there's like a ton of data there that's already just being aggregated for operators that um, they could they could utilize as well as like, you know, a built-in framework to help them, you know, to create some efficiencies in their business. Otherwise, it would probably be a little messy if everybody's keeping track of this stuff with either pen and paper or spreadsheets and, <laughs> and trying to report back compliance <laughs> of the government. It'd probably be a nightmare. That would be terrible. Yep. But I do before have... Track and, <laughs> before Track and Trace, we saw a big chief tablet, you know, the big yellow notebook <laughs> yeah. you know, or the, the notepads with it was all tracked on oh, there. Man. Oh my gosh, that's, that's crazy. I do have one question, and this is something that... I know operators here in Colorado and abroad uh, have brought it before and they have concerns about, you know, maybe this, this, you know, this track and trace, and it's not really seen in a lot of other industries. Uh, maybe the pharmaceutical industry might be the closest one that comes to it, but they have questions about, you know, the sustainability and the cost associated with these plastic tags that have to be utilized on, on everything, the RFID tags. And so is there any talk within metric maybe to, to create some efficiencies around that to cut costs for operators and, or, Maybe to kind of help with, you know, the environmental impact of having to, you know, reuse these, you know, like, I guess, get new tags every time for each plant, each package. Yeah. So so the sustainability issue is a very, very important issue for us as a company. I, and I think um, um, uh, for for one, I just I, I would like to like, address sustainability, sustainability here second. But first, I just want to talk a little bit about the cost. Um, we provide our system at, at what we, we think is a very affordable cost, in particular for small businesses. As you mentioned before, I mean, like a lot of the data that they that, that's collected as part of this process is data that also provides a really valuable service uh, for them that's for making really informed business decisions down the line. Um, and the cost of our system scales with the size of the business. So if you're a small business trying to get started, it's like usually like around forty dollars a month plus the cost of of tags. So it ends up being a, a really um, valuable system for many many licensees. In fact, even though we know that there are literally hundreds of businesses that have integrated with our system, we know that there are hundreds more licensees um, that use Metric where they do direct uh, um, entry into Metric. So we know how many use uh, third party integrators and how many don't, and the number is is much larger when it comes to how many don't. Um, so 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 it does seem like it's a really cost effective way now even though the cost it's it, it is cost effective for uh, a lot uh, for business 
businesses. Um, I would say that, like as I mentioned before, sustainability is a really important issue. We currently have a tag that's uh, in the final stages of being tested. So uh, one of the tricky things about um, having tags and cultivations is the environments are not overly friendly to the the, the structure of the in construction of the tag, um, and so it can be really hard on those. We actually have a tag that's made partially out of hemp nice. paper. Um, and also, um, uh, it's going to have um, recycled consumer paper, and then also uh, the balance of it will be, you know, from a sustainable forest or, or a sustainable source for any new or virgin paper that's being included in the in the, the structure of our tag. And so we're, we're really cautiously optimistic that 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 tag is going to be completed with testing in a matter of weeks, and then um, we'll be able to get that out into the system. So you are uh, out in the system, you know, probably you know sometime next year. We still have some inventory to work through. We want to make sure that we really rigorously test it to make sure it's going to work well in cultivations. Uh, but we're we're really excited about it because it's a it's a half of or less than half or like more than half less uh, material that goes into uh, the tag and it's made from all sustainable sources. So the only new plastic then is is the the small little piece for for the inlay on the on the RFID. So when you put that into perspective of other areas where the industry writ large can think about being more sustainable there's um there's a lot of other um areas too to consider you know we think that would be really helpful you know we, we we're supportive of of new regulations that can reduce the amount of packaging that goes around um, uh, um, uh, a lot of the products. So there could be some real efficiencies that could be gained there. You know, I was responsible for writing uh, um, regulations that had uh, exit package, you know, and so they came out with these big plastic exit packages. And of course, you know, that's a lot of new plastic getting introduced into the into the environment too. So, um, you know, so, um, so from our perspective, we think we can do a lot to make our tag more sustainable. Um, and also do it in such ways where we where we can keep you know keep uh, um, uh, our costs consistent with what it's been with uh, licensees over the years. Um, we've never done a price increase, right? So I mean, over all of these years, uh, we haven't done one, and everybody like there's a lot of price increases happening right now. <laughs> so, yeah. so, uh, so in a lot of ways, like, we're really proud of, of where we sit, and then we're also really proud of like, what our, our vision is for a more sustainable metric into the future, which is not just tags, but it's you know how do we create efficiencies where we provision the tags such that we're limiting the amount of waste and um, uh, and, and our, our energy footprint, et cetera, are all things that we're considering uh, um, uh, going into the future. That's interesting. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not fully engaged on the whole metric thing, but I feel like I thought um, what was going on in Oklahoma is that people were upset that they were paying, like you have to pay per tag. And then, you know, some people were saying like, I don't know, the number was like $40,000 or something that they were paying in tags for the year. Uh, I, that number could be completely off, but I thought you had to pay per tag. And then, so in terms of like sustainability, like maybe is there a way that we can move away from tags and like create some other kind of technology where they're not like paying for something each year for a new plant, like every time to me, that's like sustainability. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's like, uh, first of all, like all those options are certainly things that are, uh, um, uh, um, things that we, we can consider. I mean, we feel pretty strongly that it's really important. So like we've been talking about the quality of this data set and all of the information that it provides. Um, and so I think there's, there's certainly, um, you know, a lot of things to consider. Um, well, I, 
in terms of what, what you might lose if that were to change um, considerably. You know, also too, like if, to make, remember I told you like the, the environment in a cultivation is not and like very friendly to tags. So to make something that's like reusable over and over and over again would also have a pretty significant cost to it as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think for for what for what we do, where we provide like, like our system helps collect this really um, helpful data set for a lot of stakeholders in the industry, um, I would say that the the um, well, well, there's certainly room for us to continually revise and improve that. Um, I, I would say that it's 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 um, it's uh, proportional to the quality of the data set and the other efficiencies that are gained um, by having that kind of system. So it's not just the data, but there's a lot of other efficiencies that, that businesses get from having that kind of system. Um, and so, so I think we're I think we're on the right track. Um, but I also think that um, uh, we should always be looking for new ways to continue continually make it more sustainable um, without um, going down a road that could end up sacri- sacrificing public health and safety and maybe even the credibility of the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you for your transparency. You yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, that's probably going to be a part of a conversation that, you know, continues to go on as, you know, we even get towards federal legalization. Even something that I was telling Lucy was, um, what happens when we get to federal legalization and there's competing there's competing softwares out there that, you know, like metric and say biotrack. And how's that going to work when somebody needs to transfer something from one state to another? And, you know, so I think there's a lot of conversations that are going to come up as we can kind of continue to move along and, and get to this, you know, route of interstate commerce. But I do think it's promising already that metric allows us integration with outside third party softwares and helping kind of build this ecosystem where there is this data sharing and uh, essentially ease of access because, uh, you you know you see it we see it we've talked about it a few times here I think the tech part of cannabis is is really fascinating and is kind of being uh, like an industry of its own really and helping create efficiencies and I think metrics certainly at the center of that um, yeah. one one question I had though was you know you know you helped kind of really build one of the first regulated markets and in, in being Colorado and and you know as there's still a lot of states. I only think half of the, half of the state or half of the country has um, recreational cannabis or adult use, and so there's still a long ways to go before we before we get there. But what do you think? Um, you know, what did you learn from your experience in Colorado, and what do you think other states can take from this as we move towards kind of a, a national or a federal legalization? Well, um, so I I think I mentioned earlier, and it's it's worth mentioning again, is I, I think that there is a, a um, a solid body of best practices that have come from uh, the states legalizing cannabis on their own, right? So I think Colorado certainly was one of those, but there are many other states too that have, you know, you know, borrowed and uh, uh, from each other uh, various approaches to, to legalization. But I think there's like a pretty, a pretty well grounded set of best practices that any new state could could start with right now. And so like, if I had advice for a new state, it would be, don't feel like you have to create this unique structure. You know, if you're really interested in, in being able to do this efficiently, there's some, there's some best practices that have been not just put on paper, but actually shown to work really well. And I would say track and trace is certainly one of those, but there's many other aspects of, of the policy that, that has succeeded. Um, so then I think it's a matter of like kind of getting into the federal legalization uh, um, question that, that 
I think everybody <laughs> has too. It's like, you know, what, like what impact could federal legalization have on that? You know, and we're certainly spending a lot of time in DC. And I think, it, I think there's, there's a lot of conversation. One, like, is this going to happen like somewhat incrementally? Like, are we going to get something with safe banking? And then are we going to get something um, uh, for social justice? And, and then are we going to get something that, that maybe addresses interstate transfers? Or are we going to get like one big piece of legislation coming out of Congress uh, that's trying to address all of these challenging issues that would come around with federal legalization? And, and you know, we, we again, as I mentioned, we've been following that pretty closely. And I think I think for the most part, I think everyone like feels like it would be the, the right thing to do to get rid of the disparity between federal law and, and state law. Right. So yeah. I think everybody everybody kind of like agrees with that. But when you start thinking more deeply about it, um, that's been let that, that that that's been like unaddressed for so long um, that it's also like you have to recognize that there could be some disruptions that come along with federal legalization depending upon how it happens. Um, and so it will be super fascinating to see how that plays out. I, I think every day we get closer to uh, the November elections. Um, the the likelihood of incremental change this year becomes a little less likely, um, but also like there's still some like some real like, there's like some real potential for a little bit of movement this year too, whether it's on uh, safe banking or, or, or other small uh, like changes or um, like investments in um, uh, research and those types of things. Uh, but uh, every day we get cl- a little closer to the election. Um, uh, I think everybody's thinking along lines of you know the tea leaves are pointing towards. You know, the, the House going to uh, the Republicans, you know, to a Republican majority. I think there's also a number of people that feel pretty strongly that the Senate could also um, be controlled by the Republicans. And so for this to, 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 to move forward, like thinking about like in the next couple of years, that would require some Republican support and maybe even some Republican leadership. Um, and and so uh, I think uh, uh, as that, you know, you know, for for one, like the, the the cannabis issue has always been a little bit of a thorny issue for Republicans. It's been a, it's a hard one for them. But you know, I think you know if if that if those tea leaves uh, turn out to be true, you know, we're gonna we're gonna double down on, on our education um, uh, uh, and and making sure that the members of Congress and their staffers are are familiar with some of these best practices exist and some of those pitfalls um, uh, that may also exist um, and and kind of work with them uh, to. Um, maybe adjust kind of some of their thinking like and and how they've been uh, addressing this over the years. We're already seeing some of that, right? So you have Congressman Joyce out of Ohio, who's certainly been uh, in a kind of a leadership role on this issue. And then Representative Mace out of South Carolina uh, introduced a bill. And then um, we also have Congressman Mast too, um, who's, who's been active um, on the, on this end as well. So I think, so we're starting to see some more of that. um, and, And hopefully what we'll get is like some of what we've seen at the States where, um, a lot of divisive issues, um, very hyper partisan, and then cannabis comes up and like everybody comes in and like tries to find a way to to get it done. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say either way, yeah. you know, even if it does still continue to be a state's issue, I think the way we could look at it across the country is I think that's been a successful approach, and metric has certainly been able to keep up with it and manage it as a state by state issue. And so I think regardless, I think even moving forward as a state-by-state issue probably is the best way to go versus a federal legalization that, like you said, may kind of complicate things. Um, and even if the Republicans go that direction, I could be wrong, but I think state, you know, Republicans more lean on you know, the state's rights and it being kind of state's rights issue. So even if Republicans do lean towards like a federal legalization, I still believe it's still going to be a, states, a state-by-state issue. And so 
Um, I like that. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not a big fan of federally run things. And, and uh, you know, certainly uh, it's it's a very complicated time of, of any time for our federal government. So I'd hate to see them try to regulate cannabis. It kind of scares me a bit. So I think uh, leaving it to the states, I think, is the best way to do it. And I also, like I said, I think metrics being able to manage that just fine. And so uh, really, if we can just get safe banking and kind of get that cleaned up and get some guidance there, I think operators all across the board would feel a lot better and and breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief and and uh, we'd have, you know, a little bit of time to kind of keep building this stuff before we have to face any kind of other hiccups. <laughs> All yeah. right, Lewis. Well, there was one final point that I thought was pretty interesting. It looks like maybe you might have some insight into the Europe model. Um, do you want to tell us a little about what's going on there? Yeah, so I, I think the the narrative around cannabis legalization in Europe uh, has continued to evolve, you know, and, and I think is a uh, as a uh, uh, as a company, and we're, we're that has followed legalization, um, we've certainly been paying close attention to what we see happening in Europe. I think, you know, probably one one part of of the continent that is is got everyone's attention is Germany. At the beginning of this year, um, the the well, at the end of last year, they had their elections and they reelected a new government called that they refer to as the Stoplight Coalition. Uh, that's a combination of the the Greens, uh, the Social Democrats, um, and the Liberal Democrats that formed the the coalition. And part of their four year agenda um, uh, included legalizing cannabis for adult use in Germany. Um, so uh, so that happened at the beginning of the year, just as, as early as the last couple of weeks, the, the equivalent of the health department in Germany um, started having uh, some listening sessions where they were um, uh, inviting a number of uh, key stakeholder groups to be able to come and provide some information on how this might look um, in Germany if they were to legalize. So we, so, so while we see some, some momentum, uh, like forming around that, you know, we still think it'll be a little bit of time before Germany's able to legalize, but they're certainly having conversations about how, and, and you all have been in this area for uh, yeah, this, 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 uh, this, uh, uh, sector for quite some time. So, you know, uh, when the, when the conversations shifts from if we should legalize <laughs> to how we should legalize, buckle up, things are about to change, um, at a, at a very quick, public policy pace, which is a matter of years usually, but, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, it, but, it, but things are, but, but things are really starting to change. And so, you know, we've been certainly actively involved there. We think that there's an incredible opportunity um, in Europe in mm -hmm. so much as that it's a, a um, it's a small, smaller set of medical markets. Um, and if adult use were um, to um, uh, gain some momentum there, it certainly changes, changes the market. What we're watching very carefully is, is what that's, structure looks like yeah. so we think that there could be a model that's like there's like three options really there's um a tolerance model which is similar to what we've always seen like our kind of like associated with the netherlands where um it's it's more focused on the consumer and how much they can have and and where they can consume it and everything else around it is still not legal mm -hmm. right uh, so even even the wholesale tier um uh and there's a couple of different variations of that but that's kind of like the model that that we were kind of used to talking about when we first legalized cannabis in colorado mm -hmm. um and then there's these, these these the concept of model projects so for example london is is just announced that they're contemplating an adult use model project in london hmm. um uh where uh they'll uh, explore some of the um possibilities there for adult use um, uh, 
Portugal already has some cultivation uh, where they've done some model projects. Switzerland has a couple. So that's like the second option. And then the third option is more of like what we've seen here in the U.S. where states adopt these like fully regulated um, from seed to sale um, regulatory frameworks, licensed businesses, taxes uh, assessed, et cetera. Um, so uh, we're seeing a lot of, of momentum on that. Uh, obviously, you know, we think, you know, that a well-regulated model um, is uh, like puts uh, the best interests of consumers uh, at the forefront, which is very, very important to us. Um, uh, we're a mission-driven company that really cares about the end consumer and whether or not they're getting safe product. Um, and so, uh, you know, as we see this start to evolve a little bit more in Europe, which, you you know, we think it's going to probably get some pretty good momentum over the next five years. Um, uh, um, uh, uh, um, we're, we're kind of hoping that it's, you know, like a combination of model projects that transition, uh, that, that model projects that transition into the, the more regulated market, but really that regulated market is where we think the, the best options are for, for the European governments. Mm-hmm. Wow, that that's interesting. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I knew nothing hey, about bet. that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. It's kind of fun to see you know, abroad, I guess, and kind of uh-huh. see that they, they kind of face a lot of the same issues that states today are still kind of going through of like, how do we want to approach this? And just like you started it off, it was like, should we do this? And now it's like, how do we do this? And I think that's where a lot of states are. So it's fun to see, you know, abroad, they're having the same conversations and, and, you know, I don't want to take a guess, but I'm guessing they'll probably follow a similar model that some of the states here in the U.S. have, have followed and maybe some of the fear will kind of shake itself out. And when they realize they have, you know, regulatory models, like, like one that metric provides, uh, I think they'll breathe a sigh of relief. Cause I think that's what happens to happen across the board is people, once they realize the industry isn't just a bunch of people freely, you know, selling cannabis and using cannabis, that it's very structured and there's businesses and, uh, you know, there's best practices and such that it really changes their, their viewpoint on it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And, uh, um, uh, I think that, uh, I think that, many of the stakeholders in Europe and a lot of the decision makers recognize the fact that um, there's been a lot of progress made here in the United States. But I also think they're um, interested in making sure that they uh, customize it for what their real needs are. And it's also like really important to mention that things are already different there. So the medical, a lot of the medical markets import and export internationally already, oh, right? Wow. So, yeah. so, uh, so uh, <laughs> that's a different model than, than what we see here in the US. And then of course too, I think there's like the, the close proximity of all the countries together and the treaties that they have, the, the drug treaty, uh, single convention drug treaty that they have with one another also creates some, like some interesting hmm. um, complexities that will be all part of that debate. So, so here I am, you know, 13 years into this, <laughs> Um, and um, it's as exciting and fascinating today as it was um, back in 2010 when I first got started with it. When you think about all the growth still going to happen here uh, in the U.S. market, which is probably maybe a third of the way mature, mm-hmm. roughly, you know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe a little more. Um, and then the the European market that's probably less than five percent of uh, what its potential is uh, from a maturity standpoint. And all of these different like uh, possible approaches for government and technology. <laughs> it's just it's just it's like a uh, uh, it's a it's a lot of fun and an incredibly fascinating area to be part of. 
Yeah. No, thank you so much, Lewis. Like you were very fascinating. You Mm -hmm. know a lot about the industry. And like you said, you've kind of been around it all. So you've seen all these nuances going on this whole time. So very cool that you're a part of it. I like what Metrics is doing. It was cool to learn from you, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit more about exactly what goes on and, you know, the importance of consumer safety, uh, as well as kind of that data that you guys provide. So I think that that's all very helpful for the industry. Um, but we do have one final question for you. So yep. we are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid? I am absolutely lucid. You two are too knowledgeable <laughs> in this space. I have to. Uh, I, uh, I I have to be at my best this evening. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I'm sure everybody that listens to the ep- uh, to the episodes are, are very familiar with the space. So uh, I wanted to be at my absolute best for you. <laughs> awesome. We did great, you know, and a very humble approach. And I got to say, it, it was fun to see. You know, this perspective, we don't often get this perspective from it. And, and you know, I was really humbled by your approach to, and kind of the, the passion you bring to it and really your expertise from, you know, you know, like you said, like decades of experience that kind of got brought to this. And uh, we certainly look forward to, to your continued growth. And uh, we really appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, being on the show today. I was looking at the list of, of people that you've spoken to. And it's a it's a really, really um, fascinating group, and uh, it's uh, it's really humbling to to have been on the show with both of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we appreciate cool. it. Oh, thank you. You're right up there with them, with the best of them. So thank you <laughs> for being on the show. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, with that, I'm lit. Uh, I'm lucid, and that's it. Later's. This episode of the Lit and Lucid podcast is brought to you by Yuhu Digital. Yuhu Digital is a full service digital marketing agency specializing in website design. SEO, and social media management for cannabis and hemp businesses. Learn more at www.yuhudigital.com.